Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all, the, all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And we will teach, he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against a nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Lord, it is uh, unusual days in which we live, days that in many ways can be scary, and that's why what Roz uh, shared on about rest is a very important message for us, that we would rest in, in your love, rest in what we know about the coming days ahead of us, and rest in the fact that no matter what happens, we win. We're always, we're always victorious in Christ. And now, Lord, as we look at uh, some interesting things, I pray that we'll have ears to hear what your Spirit would say to your church today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just returned from Israel I spent 22 days in Israel. I led a couple of church tours there and uh, also tried to get some confirmation about some things that I've been hearing about what's happening um, over there. I'm not sure if, if you've noticed, but uh, there are way too many prophetic events happening in our world for us to be thinking it might be a coincidence. I believe that we are in the last days, and as we look at things, I think that, that things are falling into place for the coming of the Lord. There is, however, one difficult hurdle that needs to happen for this end-time scenario to sort of gel together. And that one hurdle, that, that one prophetic event is the building of what we call the third temple. Now, the third temple needs to be built on its original site where the other two temples once stood. And, of course, that is on that temple mount. I stood there a couple weeks ago, a couple times, actually, on that temple mount, and I'm imagining the whole thing and thinking, Phew, I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, the first temple, as you probably already know, was built by David's son Solomon around the year 1000 B.C. or so. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies around 585 B.C. It was eventually remodeled or rebuilt or put back together by Ezra and Nehemiah in 515 B.C., restored uh, sort of to its almost its fullness by the Maccabees in 164 B.C. 
And that is what we call or consider the first temple. And that first temple lasted until King Herod the Great decided to impress the Romans and the Jews and built a shiny new and improved temple. The massive project built by Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, by King Herod started around 20 BC and the construction lasted some 45, 46 years till around 37 AD. And as we know, according to history, it didn't last long because Titus and his soldiers came in 70 AD, according to the prophecy of scripture, a prophecy of Jesus, that not one stone will be left upon another, and it was destroyed, just as Jesus said in 70 AD. And around 635 AD, it finally came under the control of the Muslims, and for the most part, uh, that's where it is today, still under the control of Arabs and Muslims. Ezekiel 37 says in verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them indeed. I will be their God. They shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now this passage from Ezekiel 37, along with the Isaiah passage that I read at the beginning in chapter 2, as well as other passages in Scripture, are predicting what we could call a fourth temple. A temple uh, dedicated, of course, to the worship of our God uh, will once again stand in Jerusalem. But, but the verses that I'm talking about refer to that fourth temple rather than a third temple. A millennial temple, if you will, and uh, after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of course, not everyone believes that there's going to be any temple or that many skeptics have had their problems with the whole issue of Israel and uh, saying that God has rejected Israel. God has no future plan for Israel, that, that Israel's rebirth was manufactured. It was man-made and uh, just a coincidence, if you will. Yet with we read our Bibles, we see how clear it is that God has had a plan to bring the Jewish people together again into their land. And just as the prophets have foretold, the Jews are, in fact, returning from all corners of the earth, even after 1,900-plus years of exile. A miracle, really. And not only are they returning by the tens of thousands, but, believe it or not, preparations are being made to build a third temple. Since the destruction of that second temple in 70 AD, the Jews have no longer been able to offer sacrifices, which, of course, is commanded by the law of Moses. In other words, their religious practices today are, are incomplete. In fact, it requires 202 out of the 613 laws of the Old Testament to perform their ritualistic worship at the temple. So in other words, it can't be con their their worship can't be fulfilled or or performed without a temple. Without a temple, 
Jews can only worship in their local communities, in their local synagogues, where they're also able to study the Old Testament scriptures and offer their prayers. But they fall very far short of the law's requirement without the ability to offer animal sacrifices. So they need a temple in order to do that. The question, however, is uh, for the Jewish people, and really for, for all of us who are interested in this sort of thing, will this third temple attract the presence of God once again, as Isaiah and Ezekiel are describing to us? Or or will there be another presence in this third temple? Both Daniel and Jesus tell us that the one we refer to as the Antichrist is going to defile the third temple before the Lord returns to the earth. Daniel and Jesus both referred to this defilement of the temple as the abomination of desolation. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus quoting Daniel, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus was quoting Daniel from from Daniel chapter 9, where the prophet said just that. According to Daniel's uh, prophecy in that chapter, in that passage, before the temple was to be destroyed by Titus, the Messiah was to be cut off, meaning crucified, which he was. That part of the prophecy was fulfilled. But Daniel 9 goes on to say in verse 27, then he, referring to the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, meaning after three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. As a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. He's going to defile the temple, the third temple. This first part of Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled, of course, when Jesus was crucified. But then about 35 years later, in 70 AD, the temple was totally destroyed by Titus and the Romans and was never rebuilt again to this day. Still, we have to believe that a third temple must be built if there is to be a literal and complete fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. And by studying the numerous scriptures and prophecies of the Bible, we believe that a third temple absolutely will be built. And that that prince that is referred to by Daniel, by Jesus, the Antichrist, is going to appear on the scene just as they described. Daniel said that this Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant of peace for one week. One week is a biblical period of seven years. But that this Antichrist is then going to break the covenant that he himself will arrange right in the middle of it. According to the Apostle Paul, that's when the Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle said, he, the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. So 
The point that I'm making is that a third temple absolutely has to be built or Daniel, Jesus, and Paul just simply didn't know what they were talking about. And we can't believe that, right? Now, you may not know this. Maybe some of you do if you keep up on this sort of thing. That there are actually two Jewish organizations currently in Israel who are both responsible for making preparations for building a third temple and reinstating the Old Testament system of sacrificial worship. Those two main organizations, there are others, but the two main ones, the Temple Institute, you may have heard of them, and the Temple Mount Faithful Movement. They have been working independently and together since the 1980s. Now, one idea that someone proposed was that they would just simply pitch a tabernacle-style tent on the Temple Mount. Another suggested, why don't we just build a synagogue in one of the corners of the Temple Mount on that platform that is there. Rabbi Chaim, Chaim you have to use the Chaim Richman, is the director of the Temple Institute. And he's also a member of the modern-day Sanhedrin. Yes, there is such a thing. They have reinstituted the Sanhedrin. In fact, Rabbi Chaim Richman actually visited Calvary Chapel Vineland probably 20 years ago to talk about the progress of the temple in our church. He wasn't that far along back then, I'll tell you that much, but... He probably wouldn't have had time to come visit us had he was, had he, had he been ready or further along. He recently said in an article, and they quoted him, quote, buildings don't fall down from heaven. It's a mitzvah, a command to build the temple. Jews should be performing all 613 mitzvot, commands, which requires a temple. They understand it. They know that they can't complete their worship experience without a temple, at least according to the Old Testament uh, requirements. He also said that the third, third temple will, quote, bring the light back into the world, a light that left us when the Temple Mount was destroyed and the Lord's divine presence departed. Oh, how sad. To have to think in that way for them. Now I really I feel for them because since 70 AD they've had they've they've had no no way of fulfilling the law of God and they've been they've been struggling with that, I'm sure. Well, the Temple Institute also has a school. That school has been training priests, Kohen. And not only are they just priests who've been trained, but they've been DNA tested. And they've been found to be descendants of Aaron, the first high priest. And they are all trained now to perform temple duties. The point is that everything is now ready for the building of the temple. Everything except for two things. First... They need to settle on a location uh, for this new temple. 
Where are they going to build this third temple? Well, the most obvious choice, of course, is on the Temple Mount, where everyone suspects it should be. The problem with the Temple Mount site is that, well, it's currently occupied by the Dome of the Rock and uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Very touchy, very touchy situation. So the Jews have proposed, then why don't we just share it? They do it at the, the Dome of the Prophet, or the, the, temple, of the, the, the uh, temple of the Prophets in uh, Hebron. The Jews and the Muslims, they share it. They take turns uh, on who's going to be up there using it. And so the Jews have proposed, let's do that on the Temple Mount. But the Muslims don't want any part of that. But they claim, of course, that the Jews have, have no right to the Temple Mount, no right to Jerusalem. They don't even want them in Israel. Because Muslims have intentionally... I think, erased ancient uh, history of Jerusalem and the whole history of the Jews in Israel for as much as possible. And usually when we hear of any conflict of, uh, from that part of the world, it's usually linked to some of the Jewish settlements or the Jewish occupation or the Temple Mount. Another uh, person suggested that uh, they would divide up the Temple Mount. You've probably heard this option before, that if you build a wall between the Dome of the Rock and the Dome of the Spirits, then that might be an option that both Jews and, and, and Muslims can live with. However, think about it from a Muslim perspective. Uh, we have that saying, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, they possess the whole thing. Why make a concession when you control it all? There's no reason to make a concession. Well, the reason for them to make a concession is because, as I discovered when I was there, Jewish uh, uh, police and military, they're making it extremely difficult for Muslims to access the Temple Mount right now. They're closing off, choking off access for them. It's more difficult for them to get there today than ever before, even for Muslim people. So someone else has suggested that the temple could be built in the oldest part of Jerusalem, which is really outside of the Temple Mount and in the shadow of the Temple Mount, outside the city walls, I mean, in the shadow of the Temple Mount, it's known as the City of David. And that was actually the original location of the tabernacle after David brought it over from Obed-Edom. You remember the ox stumbled and he put his on, uh, Uzzah put his hand on it to save it and, and it killed him, right? And so the, they carefully then moved it and settled it there in the city of David. And in such a situation, if they were to do that, well, sure, they could put up a temple style, a tabernacle style uh, tent and, 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 uh, and that might uh, work and satisfy, satisfy some of the people's interests. There are, of course, some suggestions uh, that these are the suggestions that, that might solve the location of this temple, uh, but it's going to require a very clever negotiating process, as you can well imagine. Now, they know this third temple is coming. So much so that they've decided, the government has, the government of Israel, has decided to add another link of their rail system that will actually go from Tel Aviv 
directly to the Temple Mount area, not to the Temple Mount itself, but just outside, so that uh, worshipers can get there. They anticipate 11 million worshipers a year are coming to the Temple Mount. So they need to relieve the congestion of traffic, so much traffic around there, and buses lining up like crazy. And so if they could make it easier for people to get the Temple Mount. And so they've approved, I don't know how many millions or billions of dollars it's going to cost, to extend their rail system all the way to the Temple Mount. Oddly enough, they've, propo- they've proposed to name the stop at the Temple Mount President Donald Trump. <laughs> they love him over there. They even named a town after him, if you don't know that. A settlement, I believe, they've, they've named after him. But he, would, he might be a negotiator who can resolve this. I don't know. <clears throat> There's a bigger problem than the Temple Mount. I mean, where they're going to build the temple, the third temple. And it's a huge problem. It needs to be worked out. They still need to find a red heifer. A red cow, reddish brown. Well, according to Numbers 19, verse 2, the Lord said, Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there's no blemish, on which a yoke has never come. They need the cow because they have to sacrifice the cow and save its ashes in order to purify the temple, the temple furniture, the utensils, and even to purify the priests themselves, or they'll not be permitted to enter the temple area or the Holy of Holies. They will be deemed, they are deemed already at this moment, ceremonially unclean. And you think, well, how hard could it be to find a red cow? How hard could that possibly be? But this final hurdle has actually proven more difficult than settling the location of the temple. Red heifers are and have been being bred in Israel, but the rabbi's interpretation of Numbers 19.2 is so strict that all the cows have been disqualified. So they can't seem to find a heifer. The heifer has to be perfect, according to the the interpretation of Numbers 19.2. No blemish of any kind, not even a black hair or two black hairs or white hair. Not sure how they came up with that interpretation, but it's shown us that finding a red heifer to meet their standards is not as easy as you might think. Nevertheless, Rabbi Richmond, the Temple Institute, and others continue to press forward with their plan to rebuild this temple. All of the ritual garments for the priests have already been made. They're in storage. They're actually wearing them and practicing with them on dress rehearsal. All the vessels, all the instruments, the golden menorah, the seven-branched candelabra have all been made. They're all ready to go. They've even duplicated the various musical instruments like silver trumpets, lyres, and harps in order to worship the Lord as King David did 3,000 years ago. So you're saying, well, why did you bring this message to a men's conference? What's the point of it? What's the big deal? What does it matter to us? Well, I just wanted you to know that just a few weeks ago, 
Israel received a very special delivery at the Tel Aviv airport. I'm sure some of you heard about it. A Christian rancher from Texas has been working on this red heifer problem on behalf of the Jewish people. And he has successfully raised several of them. And uh, he, uh, it was so successful, he contacted the rabbis. In fact, a couple of the Sanhedrin rabbis made the trip over to Texas to inspect them. And they've judged them to be absolutely perfect, five of them. And so they made all of the tedious legal arrangements to have them transported to Israel, a monumental task in itself, But five red heifers have arrived safe and sound and awaiting their fate. Now, the cows have to be at least two years old and maintain their perfect condition. As of right now, they are right around one and a half years old. And uh, if they remain perfect, then they're going to be sacrificed according to the ancient ritual, and they will sacrifice them actually on the the Mount of Olives in the ritualistic service. Their ashes will then be collected, mixed with water, and preserved to be used in the purification ritual once the temple is erected. Wow. What an ordeal for something that is pointless. Totally pointless. And the reason it's pointless is because the third temple is going to be the Antichrist's temple. It's not going to be anything that God is going to accept. He no longer accepts animal sacrifices. But that's their drive. That's what they're shooting for. Hebrews 10, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's no longer required. That's why the temple was destroyed 70 AD. It's like Jesus said, you don't need it anymore. I am the Lamb of God. I took away your sins. You don't need the temple any longer. One day, in the not-too-distant future, a very skilled negotiator, and I do not think it's Donald Trump, he's going to arise, come onto the world scene, and he's going to convince Muslims and Jews that, that... sharing the Temple Mount or convincing the Muslims giving away the Temple Mount is the only way to lasting peace. And both sides are going to buy into it, probably even agree to it, sign an agreement to it. And only really, if you think about it, only some incredibly gifted, respected, trusted, honored man by both Muslims and Jews could possibly pull that off. But whoever this man is, No matter how wonderful he may appear, he's going to break the peace agreement. And when he does, all hell's going to break loose. But know this. Mock, if you will. Doubt, if you will. Question the whole thing. God's word is sure. These prophecies concerning the third temple will absolutely be fulfilled. When, I don't know. All I know is that things are ready for that. Israel is once again a full-fledged nation, reborn in 1948. Control of Jerusalem happened, for the most part anyway, in 1967. And Jerusalem is mostly, and Israel is mostly under the full control of the Jewish people, all except for a few hot spots and 
the Temple Mount. Temple Mount, Jordanian military sort of runs it, and the Arabs do what they want there for the most part. And here's what the Lord said in Isaiah 66. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. Wow. I think if I can be loose with an interpretation of this, I think God would say that all of Israel, all of Jerusalem, is currently pregnant with with prophecy, prophetic uh, scriptures, prophetic reality. Do you think, God says, do you think I'm going to allow this, this condition now to be aborted? That I'm going to stop now that I've taken it this far? No, not a chance. Not a chance. The the temple preparations movement has picked up steam in the last 30 years. And now here we are today. Everything is in place. Everything is ready to go. The Jewish faithful are eager and desperate and the Muslims are nervous. They know it. I don't know if you've heard, but in this past um, celebration of the Tab- Feast of Tabernacles, Jewish uh, people were, you know, the Jewish faithful, the Orthodox, they were, they were going up on the temple area. They wouldn't go on the platform. That's, that's taboo. They wouldn't do that. Lest they should step on the area where the Holy of Holies is. But thousands apparently for the first time, are making their way up onto the area and walking around the temple platform as if to say, not long now, not long now, not long now. And the Muslims are nervous. Here's what Rabbi Richmond said, quote, the Shekinah, meaning God's presence, is brought about only through the temple, In terms of our mission as a people, we cannot in any way reach our spiritual status without the temple. For Orthodox Jews who are committed to reestablishing the temple, both the present problems of the world and the problems faced by the Jewish people will be solved only by rebuilding, end quote. Well, that's how they feel, and they're very strong about it. But we know from a Christian worldview that is not true because the Bible tells us we are the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God's Shekinah is within us. We don't need a temple to be the light of the world. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. We are the temple. Second Corinthians 4, Paul said, It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in our bodies, in us. We're not in a building. It's not a building for us. It's not a temple for us. We carry God with us wherever we go. My purpose in teaching this study to you, of course, is to exhort you to be ready. Brothers, let me be frank. That's my name, by the way. Time is running out for our world. We see what's happening. We don't know how long, how long we can put up with this, in our own, just in our own country, in our own communities, in our own cities. We're seeing things spiral out of control. We don't know how much time is left. Honestly, I don't know how much longer we want the Lord to, to wait. I, I don't want him to wait much longer. But yet I want him to wait long enough for more people to get saved. We're the light of the world. We're the hope that is left behind to represent Jesus Christ. There's nothing else left for us to do except that. That's the greatest priority of our lives. But time is running out. And so we don't want to waste another minute without Jesus at the helm of our lives. It's time, brothers, for us to make a choice. It's time for us to get right with God. As we say, get right or get left. Meaning that before the second coming, and we hope before the chaos of the rebuilding or the building of that third temple, we hope we hope that Jesus will rapture his church and we're going to be out of here. We're going to be gone. And then, then all hell will, will break loose in a different way. But we have to believe in Jesus. Now is the time for that. First and foremost, if you're here today and you've been on the edge, you're not sure if you want to believe in this Jesus thing. Someone inv- invited you here today and you don't even know why you came. Maybe you came to hear this. Your time's running out. Your time is running out. It's time for you to make a decision, a hard one, to give up your life and serve Jesus Christ until you die. We have to believe in Jesus and follow him until we die. Of course, that's the easy way. The hard way is to deny Jesus. And then when the rapture happens, you'll have to go through the great tribulation. And if you thought 2020 was hard, we're living today in what we call the age of grace. When we can easily be saved through belief in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's changed me and you're born again by the Spirit of God. Yes, but that day is coming to a close. And the window of opportunity for God's grace is closing and it's going to close one day very quickly. And then a day of violence and doom has been predicted. And everything that we're seeing in our world today seems to be pointing in that direction, seems to be aligning up for an end-time scenario, gearing up for that day. So your best option is to pay attention to the signs. You say, well, I don't see any signs. Pay attention to what I'm saying then. That's why God gives preachers to the the world. You know that, right? And, and, And teachers 
so that you can hear, you could see, and you can sort of be shaken and waken and, and realize. You know, it, it, maybe it's necessary for the church to get woke. And I don't mean it in the world sense. We were awake, awakened by the Spirit of God. We're already woke. When Jesus spoke into our hearts, and sometimes, you know, things can, we can kind of lose our, our, our steam, our fire, and we get lulled into a, a sleep, you know, in the lullaby of the world. The promise of the world and the promise of, 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 a, of a good business or a good life or this or that. And we kind of go, yeah, you know, you know, I, don't, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Maybe it's time for a recommitment of your faith. Maybe it's time that we, we, we turn things around because time is something we don't have a lot left of. The temple is ready. The plans have been drawn up. The furniture, the instruments have all been reconstructed to the original design. Even the red heifer is waiting to be used and sacrificed. And all the Jews need is a location and a go-ahead, a green light to build. And the temple will be built. And when that last soul has been saved and the father is going to turn to the son and he's going to say son go collect your bride it's time and it's going to happen as the apostle Paul said in a moment in the twinkling of an eye the last trumpet the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed we're going to be changed we're all going to die, but wouldn't it be nice if some of us didn't die and we just went in the rapture? I want to go in the rapture. I think that would be, I don't know, better than dying. <laughs> Could be wrong. First Corinthians 16, Paul said, If any man love the Lord Jesus Christ, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Cursed. And then he ends that sentence with, Maranatha. Some of you oldies know Maranatha. Maybe some of you, I mean, it's in the King James Version, Maranatha. It's an old word meaning the Lord comes or he will come. In other words, you can bank on it. He's coming. You can argue with it all you want. You look at all the prophecies of Scripture that have all been fulfilled. What are the odds that God is going to say, I'm, I'm done fulfilling prophecy. You people don't listen anyway. You're just all going to hell. I don't care anymore. No, there's no, no chance of that. Absolutely no chance of that. God is going to complete everything that he wrote in Scripture. Not one word, not one dot, not one cross of a T is going to be abandoned. It will all be fulfilled. You can bank on it. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come and take of the water of life freely. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. That's Jesus. Surely I am coming 
And every believer with the Apostle John has to say what he said in, 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 in the end. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, time is running out for human history, and it's, it's, it's coming to a close very quickly. So we need to make sure that we're on the right side of these coming events. We need to make sure. And I want to pray with you now so that you will be sure. Lord, as we bow our hearts to you today, it is with great hope, joy, anticipation uh, that we look forward to your coming. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We don't care about temples. We don't care about red cows. None of that means anything. What it means is that others are thinking about those things just as your word said they would. Those things are coming just as your word said they would. And there's not a thing that humans can do to stop it. In fact, humans will be promoting it, encouraging it. But we have the inspired word of God. Prophecy. History of man in advance. You've given us prophecy. We know what's coming. How foolish would we be to ignore it? And here, Lord, our, our time is, is short on this earth. And so we have choices, decisions to make. And if you're here today and you've not yet made that choice, wouldn't you want to make that choice? I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are and say, I, I need Jesus. I need to be right with the Lord. Stand right where you are. I need to be right with Jesus. I want, to be, I want Jesus in my heart. I want to give my life to him. I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of this history. Stand. Let me see you. Let me see, let me see where you are and I'll pray for you. Okay? You're chicken. Lord, you know each and every one of us where we are in our hearts. You know those who need to make this decision. You also know those of us who need to rid ourselves of the things that hold us back from our relationship with you. And so I pray in Jesus' name that you would hear our prayers here. Hear, look into our hearts. You know every one of us. And may your Holy Spirit speak to us even after this, this time together is over. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.